0: The year is 1992. I'm Zach. And I'm Al. And this is My Marvelous Year. Welcome to My Marvelous Year, the Comic Book Reading Club, where we go through the best of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book journeyman, and today I am joined by a very special guest, the only guest I've ever had on My Marvelous Year that I lured onto the show with a a tweet, a honeypot of a tweet. (laughs) Uh, It is Al Kennedy, uh, co-host of House to Astonish, uh, I think Scotland's longest running comic podcast, is that correct? That's right, we've been running since 2008. That's very impressive, and uh, and then his his own personal podcast is uh, Desert Island Discworld, which is a a Discworld podcast, uh, an interview show, right, where you're going through uh, the Discworld yep. series and talking to different guests about. Yeah, Discworld. it's effectively a kind of cross between a biographical interview and a book club. It's 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 very neat. I'm a I'm a very novice Discworld reader. I think I've read about the first four of them, and uh, and I always want to keep digging into it because they're. A total delight. Um, can I, th- I think House to Astonish is probably the biggest crossover with our audience. Do you want to let people know? Yeah, sure. Um, House
1: Astonish. That, sure, House Astonish is a uh, as I say, it's a comic book podcast that's been running since 2008. Where I, along with my co-host Paul O'Brien, um, who has been doing his own X-Men reviews under the the name of the X Axis, literally since the mid 90s on Usenet, um, we talk about the comics news of the past few weeks we review a couple of comics and then at the end there's a bit of sort of mucking around really which is effectively a makeover segment called the official handbook of the official handbook of the marvel universe where we try to (laughs) rehabilitate some absolute mort and see how we could uh revive them for today's readers so let's see um What's the guy from Avengers
0: 200? you could do that guy yet? <laughs> uh, oh. Or is that one a little too touchy for you? No, I think
1: p- people, barge pole required for Avengers 200 and anything to do what, with it, really. What's that guy's name? Uh, Marcus Amortis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what about, uh, let's see, Stiltman? Does he need rehabilitating? Stiltman's too... <laughs> I don't want to say he's too big a character because he's literally too big a character. He's like... <laughs> Twenty stories tall, but he's, uh we're talking real losers. Like we had uh, one time, we yeah, did still, the Red. Yeah, we okay. did we did the Red Skull, but it's not the Red Skull that anyone's heard of. It's the Red Skull that was in literally two issues of the nineteen fifties Captain America comics and has never been seen right, since. Right, sure. Or, and, or the, uh, like, there's that Baron Zemo who is just like the one that
0: gets killed off in I think like the sixties and then is replaced. From then on by New Zemos, right? like (laughs) He he looks just the same, but it's actually the grandfather of the one that we always know.
1: Yeah, we had... um, One of them was, in terms of where you currently are in in your um, read-through, you guys will be coming up on Secret Defenders pretty soon. And one of the characters of Secret Defenders was a guy called Cadaver. And he was literally just like, I'm a guy who's a body a dead body and the way that we had him um revived was that he would be in every single major marvel crossover event and when the watcher turned up and uh, witnessed cadaver dying that's when you knew it was on like he was Mm, like the canary in the mineshaft sure yeah okay oh that's fine he exists purely to die at the beginning of crossovers because these crossovers these big marvel crossovers always end up with some poor guy dying Uh, early on to try and set some kind of stakes. It's like, well, why don't we just have it be the same guy every time? Yeah, A utility player. I just watched uh, the X-Men animated series for the
0: first time. Like, started Mm -hmm. watching some of that. And uh, in episode one, you've got, you know, the very classic X-Men team, and then some, like, bumbling idiot called Morph, and it's just (laughs) like, well, I know what's going to happen to you. (laughs) (laughs) You're not long for this world. Um, Cadaver, is that, that's not the same as the king cadaver from the 70s uh black panther don mcgregor no. Black panther stuff right okay it's no not like though, a, that's a also a good candidate for for reinvention
1: but, oh, well you um, know I, th- those all
0: those characters that, that have you read that rage of the panther
1: yeah that, they're terrific i just got the the
0: epics that they brought out recently it's incredible and all those characters feel like they could have just had a, in, in you know a life in the marvel comics like he, he fleshes out that world so much mm. and so few of those characters with the exception of killmonger really you know come back and and stick around but there's a ton of fun villains in that run uh, including one just named Venom, <laughs> I think. Like, um yeah, Venom with two M's at the end. Right. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's let, let me see. Uh, before we get into the comics, I just gotta say, if thank you for listening. If you uh, want to support the show, you can head over to iTunes and drop us a review. That's much appreciated. Um, head over to Patreon.com and for as little as a dollar a month, you can get access to our master spreadsheet. Uh, Five dollars gets you access to the Slack channel early access to episodes bonus episodes dave and i uh by the time this episode will come out it will probably be out for a while but dave and i just recorded um about an hour on black panther and uh in the loki show so or not black panther the black widow movie and the loki show and uh we'll probably do the same for what if so those are always going to go up on the patreon feed so if you're curious about that and want to support us uh head over there thank you all right uh let's jump into it so the, uh, the comic that I did lure you onto the show with, which, mm-hmm. thank you for responding, and I'm very gl- glad and very surprised that worked, that me tweeting, like, hey, does, does anyone who follows me like Spider-Man 2099? And then it was like, oh, a uh, a prestigious podcaster immediately
1: responded? Like, perfect. It, it was late at night, and I had had a few glasses of wine, so it was, <laughs> I was just like, yes! I- 2099! <laughs> did you see
0: someone responded? And uh, and they don't follow me, so I don't I don't even really worry that they're gonna hear this and see me like calling them. That. <laughs> People on Twitter are so odd. Someone responded like, "Yes, I really liked it." You know, uh, I don't it's something about the Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four didn't work in 2099. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then they followed it up with that. Yes, and if anyone doesn't like it, f- them. <laughs> <laughs> The person doesn't even follow me. They're not, like, a follower or a listener. Like, it's a stranger just being like, yeah, if you don't like Spider-Man 2099,
1: f*** you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah, I do love these comics. I'm not sure I would, uh, you know, start a scrap with someone over them though
0: (laughs) I mean, the thing was, I hadn't read them at that point. So, like, I almost, I I didn't engage, but I almost responded like, there's, like, a better than... Even chance that I'm not one of the people who will like this. So, like, it's just, you're bringing some real heat to this. Anyway, so Spider-Man 2099. <clears throat> it's the beginning. If if I understand correctly, it's the beginning of the 2099 universe in mm. Spider in a uh, in uh, Marvel, and it's it was initially uh, an idea between Jim Lee and John Byrne, who. Jim Lee left, so I don't know how much he had to do with the actual, you know, like, writing. I think just conceptually maybe came up with the idea before he left.
1: Yeah, interestingly, um, it was... Um, Stanley and John Byrne were originally going to be doing this project, Marvel World Stanley. of Tomorrow. I, I... Just, I glanced over the Wikipedia... And
0: it just says, like, something, like, developed by Lee and John Byrne, in my mind, like, I didn't even cross my mind that it was Stanley and not Jim Lee at this time, because it's, like, yeah. 92 is, like, the year Jim Lee leaves, he's all over the place. It's <laughs> like, okay, that makes way more sense. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm
1: glad that someone knows what
0: they're talking about.
1: Here. Yeah, and they, they pushed it really, like, for a long time through 91 um, in Marvel Age and in Stan's Soapbox columns and so on, about how they were going to be doing this Marvel World of Tomorrow Mm -hmm. project and uh, and all this kind of thing. And then there was, for whatever reason, it just petered out. And there was still kind of enthusiasm for it within Marvel Editorial. So you had a a kind of little brain trust of Marvel editors. Um, Mm -hmm. So Tom DeFalco and and Mark Gruenwald and um, Bob Harris and Ralph Maggio. Along with I think Fabian says it as well. Um, they decided right. Well, we'll make something else of this. Let's create a subline of comics, and we'll make it like the Marvel Universe was in the '60s, where we're, you were know, one thing a month is coming out, and um, you're discovering this whole new um, superhero universe a bit at a time. Mm-hmm. And they didn't go to to John Byrne. For this, I don't know why. Perhaps uh, John Byrne was in one of his occasional huffs. Um, very unlike the man, he's he's so uh, even tempered normally. And um, <laughs> this is a little a little
0: past John Byrne's prime as well. <laughs> like as I actually, I'm a I'm a big John Byrne '80s defender. Like I adore his '80s work, like almost yeah. unilaterally. Um, but like by 1992, I don't know if he ever puts out a thing that is particularly remarkable again like he does okay work he does some solid work in my mind but like yeah
1: i, I liked the, when when he left marvel and he went off to do next Men. i thought that was kind of i have interesting not i stuff. have not t- dove into that yet so i, I guess i shouldn't that's, say yeah. it's interesting but it's probably for me that's the last really good burn thing hmm, um when okay. he comes back to marvel and he's doing x-men hidden years and stuff like that is i think it's it feels like John Byrne going through the motions of being John Byrne rather than anything that's got any real kind of in inspiration striking too, yeah. behind it. Yeah. Um so they rolled out four launch titles for the twenty ninety-nine series. So there was Spider-Man twenty ninety-nine, Ravage, Punisher, and Doom. Mm-hmm. And the creators that they got on these were quite interesting in that Stanley did stick around to do Ravage. Yeah. Um, although on that I think he was working with is it Paul Pat Ryan Mills, well, yeah, or Paul Ryan on on art. I think the oh, on right? writing side of things, I can't remember whether it was Pat Mills takes over the writing of. Art. I know Pat Mills wrote Punisher twenty ninety nine, which is a very interesting one for anybody who's a two thousand AD fan to be seeing um, Mills doing anything Marvel US. Um, but on Spidey twenty ninety nine, they went to Peter David mm-hmm. and um, Rick Leonardi, which is. I mean, from mean, my muddy 1992, that's a dream team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Peter David's. Peter David has gone from doing, like, <clears throat> I think
0: just the Hulk to having, like, three or four titles under his belt right now mm-hmm. in 1992. He is, you know, he's becoming, like, a superstar in Marvel. And I, I think rightfully so. Like, more or less everything I've read for, by Peter David at this time period is either good or great, right? Like, he yeah. he hasn't, he's not putting out anything that is not, like, you know... A, at the very least, solid, right? Like, I, I feel like there's yeah. been some stuff where we've been a little cooler on it, but like, but then he's doing X Factor right now, and it's, it's great stuff. Um, so That's yeah, silly. this this is like you said, it's Peter David, Rick Leonardi on the art. Um, I guess I want to ask kind of a broad question for you. Spider-Man 29, 2099, based on these three issues, you know, I, I I'm, we can get into like where this goes eventually, but based on these three issues, do you think that this th- this is this is really one of the first like big superhero origins we've read in a long time you know like they are not bringing in like here's a new hero and here's you know a, an entire origin issue or three issues right like we're really diving into this origin it's you know a characters introduced in avengers and then they just kind of slowly integrate into the marvel universe but like yeah a character getting this spotlight a new number one a brand new character do you think this is successful as an origin to a new brand new character
1: i think think it is because it has to not only set up the character but it also has to set up the world Mm -hmm. and so you end up with something which not only introduces the specifics of the character but also introduces the context in which that character exists and so you get much more of a, um, a grounding in not just what the character does but also why the character is in this job what does this involve um what is the character's familial setup how do they relate to the wider world um a lot of stuff about um how has uh, how things like uh how's the police changed for example mm-hmm. um how has um the the way that corporate interests interact with our world changed or evolved um and because of that you get a much more um I think a much more organic way into the character because you're not just being presented with the character in isolation, you're being presented with the character as part of a wider ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And the fact as well is it's spread out over those three issues. And they That's, don't try and do everything in one issue. That it really is, helps. feels incredibly like modern
0: to me. I, I don't know if we've mm. ever read anything so far in the Marvel Universe that does this. I don't think we've ever read an origin that is like, at the end of this first issue you have kind of idea what's going on but like you're definitely like well i don't have the full picture yet right like i don't Mm. know this guy's not a superhero right like he just got some powers and they're a little scary but we don't know we don't really know anything about them really so like to to spread it over three feels a very like forward thinking and like you know the a modern decompression of story right and letting it breathe and not rushing through it so that that was really smart to me yeah uh, for, for me, yeah. So Miguel O'Hara is the Spider-Man here. Um, we can get into his Irish Mexican uh, background and that uh, you know um, that that conceit. But um, I I I agree. I think this is a really good origin. I think you get a good idea who the character is. I think you get a good idea what the world is. You get a glimpse of his powers, even though like his powers are not fully established here. You get like a decent idea of what's going on and. You know, but it, like it's still leaving a little mystery, and there's still some discovery for him to like figure them
1: out. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> oh, please! And particularly given that it's um, fed to you a bit at a time through these issues. So, for example, in the first issue you get this origin, which is I mean is very much in tribute to the fly, mm-hmm. and then oh, I mean get... he literally just is like, <laughs> yeah, I I built this uh, genetic manipulation pod
0: based on this old. Movie by a man named Cronenberg? Like, you know, he he calls it out
1: by name, yeah. yeah. And in um, and the second issue, you get the talons and things like that. And in the third issue, you get the kind of organic spinnerets that he's got in his forearms. And and mm. so it's not just all dumped on you I, in, in one big sequence or anything like that. It, it yeah. really is just a case of, oh, wow, and there's another thing. Oh, wow, there's another thing. And you're constantly being surprised not just by um the fact that you know for example he has claws which he uses you know he can use them as offensive weapons which he does down the line in later issues Mm -hmm. um but also things like the organic web spinners thing which you know i mean it wouldn't be very long you know six seven years before giving spider-man organic web shooters was a thing of real consternation for people Mm -hmm. um albeit in a movie context rather than in a um a comic book context i i like it i think
0: it's fine it works well here i hate the way that they come out of his arms because it's not the normal like you know by his palm it's the back of his hand back of his hand. right like it's like black widow's stinger kind of thing but it's like it's just kind of randomly like it's
1: weird it like it makes me feel uncomfortable just thinking about i don't know i like that he doesn't he doesn't use them to swing around he doesn't which is great Yeah, he uses them to... Like, he glides, basically, with the light-bite fabric, which he gets from the the Thor worshippers' um, uh, hang glider thing. Yeah,
0: Which, great, great joke of, like... There's there's a lot of... There's there's not a lot. There's a few little ties into the, you know, like, mainline, present-day Marvel continuity, but Mm -hmm. it's not overwhelming, and it's not too much winking and fan service, which is what I like. Like, the few things that they do feel, like, sparse enough that when it happens you're like, oh, that's fine. Like, Thor obviously has died, and mm. so there's this religion that's cropped up around the, like, the return of Thor, and, you know, they're like, they, there's a great line where they're like, repent, repent, the day of Thor's return is, is nigh, he will come to slay all the uh, the Frost corporate giants, right, like, <laughs> and they're, they're these anti-corporate activists, you know, or something, where, like, but they are, they're dressed up like Thor, and swinging around hammers, and or dressed up like the, uh, the Heroes 3 um yeah
1: yeah yeah totally and then that kind of thing it starts off as as really as a joke and it's a kind of very small incidental thing in in these Mm -hmm. stories and then in later in fact it's that long into i think it's the third issue well i think it's a a year into the um the 2099 universe you Mm -hmm. get an entire crossover based around the return of the the Asgardian. Oh, gods, okay. Has, all right. The fall of the hammer—it's called—and um, and whether it, you know, whether it's real or not, or whether it's, yeah, and sure. it's got lots of things going on. Um, but it—it it all serves to flesh out the world. There yeah. are so many things that you know. Miguel O'Hara isn't concerned with the the Asgardian gods or with the the Thor worshippers or anything like that. But they exist in his world, and they're just something which crosses his path and he has to deal with them in in this sort of everyday context um which i think is really terrific
0: i yeah i agree and i agree that this whole world feels feels very like you feel like you understand how this works which is something that marvel has a really hard time with a lot of the times when they're doing dystopian futures or alternate universes or just other planets that they go to where like here's a war between two alien species and i'm like i have no idea like what the the feel of this place is. You know, like, I don't get yeah. the culture, I don't get the, you know, what people are like, I don't understand the po- political, you know, like, the politics on the ground, and, like, I mean, it's it's not complicated here, but you get a you get a good idea, you know, it, it's, it's a, what, um,
1: Neil it's Stevenson's very... Snow Crash, right? It's a little, like, yeah, corporations there's... run everything. <laughs> very Snow Crash, quite a Blade runner kind of mm-hmm. thing as well, but it's, I suppose that it was still a time when, um you know the, the whole cyberpunk ethos was still very big the whole kind of mirror shades movement was still big around this point but maybe not um, like
0: in the mainstream you know i think it's fun to see this like in a very you know mainstream marvel putting this out <clears throat> as mm-hmm, opposed to mm-hmm. a small subset of sci-fi novels yeah 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 so th- i I think all that that works really well um but yeah the, the corporation thing and it, you know it's 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 good because it's, you know, based in reality, right? Like, it's not, you know, this totally far-fetched, totally detached sci-fi conceit, right? It feels like, oh, it's, you know, two degrees notched up from what we currently have. Uh, You know, to the point where Alchemax sets a bounty hunter loose on Miguel O'Hara to try to find this new, you know, genetic uh, monster that has escaped their lab. And the bounty hunter is just killing people in public, and you, you get the feeling, like, is not worried whatsoever about the police, right? Like he just casually kills the, uh, the balder lookalike mm-hmm. and, and it is just because the guy's annoying him, right? Like there's yeah. no, there's no justification or anything, but he just kills him in the middle of like a town square. And <clears throat> just that makes you feel like, Oh, these, the corporations don't worry about, you know, the, yeah. I'd, I'd, being I love the fact law. that yeah.
1: when, when venture kills the balder, um, mm-hmm. cosplayer guy, um, the, the rest of the Thor worshippers are like, <gasps> Boulder has died. Yeah, right. Yeah. Ragnarok <laughs> has begun. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good joke,
0: yeah. Um, but it's also a good moment of like, oh, these are real people. They're not just goofs, too, right? Like, he, he yeah. threads that needle there really well. And Miguel O'Hara, let's talk about him as a character. I, I think mm. he's a really interesting, you know, like, revamp of
1: Peter Parker in that... He's a real jerk, <laughs> right he's he's the opposite of Peter, really isn't it? like when peter is Peter has to put the mask on to give himself the confidence to talk mm-hmm. Miguel does not shut up at any point he's and it's when he puts the mask on that's when he shuts up. I mean he says some stuff to like his
0: bosses that are is incredibly rude and like offensive <laughs> yeah. like. At one point, his boss is just like, you know what my late father would say if he was alive today? And he's like, help, help, I'm in a coffin. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, God, that, that, anyone would punch this guy. So, But the thing is, I think that, like, kind of honors the origins of Peter Parker, where Peter is an intolerable, like, incel dweeb. <laughs> In uh, in the original like 1962 run, like he's just the most like I'm a nerd who's smarter than everyone, and you'll see, you'll all see someday, right? Like he's not confident and cocky, but he is, yeah, incredibly like I'm better than everybody, and you know, just kind of very holier than thou (laughs) to to everybody Mm. else, and silently, uh, you know, uh, what's the word? Uh, It's quite puritanical, and he's very bitter about you know the the way that like he's being treated by the world, and feels like he's being unfairly dumped on Mm -hmm. um so i i think that actually kind of tracks i i like how far they push into making him unlikable i i think right like i I get the feeling that peter david's writing him to be an unlikable jerk like he's a little funny but he also it's clear that this guy is kind of you know uh, he's unpleasant
1: (laughs) to be around yeah i mean peter david is great at writing very snarky characters particularly around this time he was Mm -hmm. obviously the whole of x factor is basically just one massive quip fest yep and then you get that in particularly in in various of the, the pantheon characters over in hulk um when he was doing his star trek new frontier books it's all very much the same as well lots of just gag 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 every minute and to have miguel hara be somebody who just can't he can't just say something straightforward. He has to make a joke out of it. Like, mm-hmm. it feels like it's a defense mechanism <clears throat> for him. And, you know, you, much later on, you, you find out a lot more about his family background and his upbringing and why he might have turned out like this. But um, in this context, you do have to wonder why he just hasn't been fired. Like, yeah, well, I mean, times
0: you know, by now. He's, he's so cocky and confident that he's irreplaceable that he can just, like, you know, make yeah. fun of the CEO's dead dad, right? Like, <laughs> so just go to those
1: those extremes. So, yeah, like the, the Tyler the, Tyler Stone, right? This terrifying boss yeah. man of Alchemax turns up, and first thing Miguel says to him is, "Not long enough, no C." Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? The, I I I mean, I like how this plays out
0: a lot, which is that Tyler Stone, he's smarter than Miguel, right? And like, mm. he he is not just taking it on the chin. Like he is, you know, he he's got. What, what is it like hot temper versus cool temper right like Miguel's mm, definitely hot tempered mm-hmm. here Tyler stone has got that cool temper and he just waits for his moment and when Miguel is just like <clears throat> you know I'm out of here I'm no used to anymore you used to you anymore Tyler's like oh yeah here have a drink and then it's just like haha it hooked you on space weed <laughs> right like yeah you <laughs> it is, it's bonded to your genes and uh from now on you will be addicted to this you know the our, our new future drug that only our company sells, which is great. Like it's, it's a really harsh, mean thing. You know, like it's a, it's a mean plot line for the comic to write. Like it's a very intense situation to put the character yeah. in. And, uh, and I think it really works as establishing Tyler Stone is like smarter and more ruthless than, than Miguel.
1: Yeah. And properly like a bad baddie as well. You know, he yeah. would do very underhanded, sly things like this. Yeah. Um,
0: and then so it goes. You know, Miguel tries to cure himself of the, the the drug addiction using his little genetic manipulator pod. And then a bitter coworker that he's been, you know, like uh, making fun of for a while, puts in Peter Parker's DNA sequence. Which I love that that touch, like using the actual like genetic you know information from Peter Parker, um, and you know inserts it on into Miguel, which causes him to. It, it's interesting that he's like. He becomes a Spider-Man, but not like the Spider-Man. Like his powers are a little messed up. Like he gets these fangs, mm-hmm. he gets these claws. You know, the, the web is organic. He's yeah. You know. mm-hmm. I don't even know if he has spider sense. Yeah. And then his costume is like his. It, it's a Day of the Dead costume that he had, had made. Which we can talk about his costume for a second. Great costume love this design
1: like one of my all-time favorite marvel costumes is the Uh, spidey the original spidey 2019 they did redesign it recently hmm. um in about i say recently like 2015 um and it was chris anka who i love and i think is a terrific designer but i really don't think that the the redesigned spidey 2019 costume works at all i think this version
0: i i'm looking at it now i actually quite like the new one but the white one? Ooh, uh, ooh, with the pink. I, I, I like that, not a fan. Uh, that Nimrod color scheme of like the, the white and pink and black a little bit. But like I, I do love... I, I think I, I like this one quite a bit, too. So it is kind of a yeah. bummer to move on from this one. It, and also, it's just it's very impressive to be able to do a Spider-Man costume that does not feel like it's <clears throat> just the original Spider-Man costume with you know a tweak here or there. Some tweaks, like it, it feels yeah. totally like its own thing while still honoring the original, which is like... I think the the motto for this entire comic, right, like, uh, honors the original while still being very much its own thing. Like he has a yeah. he has a cape here, right? Like he's got a cape made out of webs. That's so fun, and it, it uses it to to hover, um, you know, to glide. That, that's that's
1: a great idea. Yeah, uh, I love that he takes that. Well, it's not that he takes it in in continuity or in the comic, but it's something that is has been seen before with Spider Woman. Jessica mm-hmm. Drew, obviously her her gliding thing with right, her right, right. I underarm, whereas you know here Miguel's got this kind of uh, soldered onto his back. Yeah. So um, the the only
0: criticism I have of, of this whole run, and you know this this maybe changes in the future, so this is just of these three issues, is um, a, a huge part of Spider-Man comics for me that are like integral to the comics working is that he has a robust cast of secondary characters right like Mm -hmm. of humans on the ground you know his mary jane or i mean right initially even in you know the early 60s you've got gwen stacy and betty brandt and harry osborne and jjj and aunt may here he has lila who i think lila works but she's just a computer program in his apartment Mm -hmm. um but then he's got a brother gabriel o'hara and a fiance who i don't remember the name of um dana Dana, D'Angelo. Yeah. And uh, neither of them do much here. They're both mostly like, Miguel, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? And it doesn't establish them, you know, and, and like I said, maybe issue 4 immediately launches into those relationships and starts fleshing them out. But, like, that that was the one big thing that felt missing to me is him having a little bit more grounding in, like, other characters and him having a, a personal life.
1: Yeah, I mean, these characters, Gabe and um, Dana and, indeed, um... You get an issue i think it's an issue four you get casey who's gabe's girlfriend turns up um and then i think it's about issue eight or nine you get to meet gabe and miguel's mother and by issue about issue eight or nine you've kind of got his supporting cast Mm -hmm. in place um i think the there really is only so much space to play with i guess sure and and spreading out the origin and <clears> the <throat> setting up the world is taking up a lot of that real estate. But yeah. no, I totally get where you're coming from in terms of the um the the relationships he has with with Gabe and particularly with Dana are very broadly drawn. Mm-hmm. It's very um wide stroke stuff and not very kind of um kind of granular at this stage. Um it does develop a, a bit better as as it goes on. I mean, this was the Spider-Man twenty nine spider-man 2099 was the by far and away most popular of the spidey of the 2099 books mm-hmm. and it ran i think it was 46 issues something like that yeah and it had steel crossover with regular spider-man and all that kind of stuff um and it outlasted pretty much all the other um launch 2099 books it was oh a- ravage 2099 didn't run for 60 issues <laughs> weirdly weirdly enough yeah. it's strange to say yeah. <laughs> um but then eventually you know they they did manage to kind of be able to put a bow on 2099 eventually um by giving a proper send-off and a kind of final one shot and so on um but of those characters that were established in that universe miguel's really the only one who's had any longevity since then
0: I mean, we even and got think... a, a wink to him in Spider-Man: Enter the Spider-Verse, right? Like the the, Absolutely, end, yeah. the end scene of that is Oscar Isaac voicing him, and then it turns yeah. into a great. Uh, I love that that is like baiting fans into being like, "All right, here he comes, Miguel O'Hara." Nope it's it's that stupid <laughs> meme, right? Like great, great joke, great joke. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, this is the one that I know, like, when I was a kid, I uh, would buy some random Spider-Man comics, and I had this one, I had, like, the first few issues of Spider-Man 2099, they were all foil, like, shiny on Mm. the outside, Um, and uh, I I think I had Doom, like, Doom did nothing for me, I didn't, I I barely glanced over, but the Spider-Man 2099 ones were the ones that, like, were,
1: um, you know, kind of stuck out and uh, and intrigued me the most, and the only one you ever hear about now, right? Yeah, and the other one for me that I really like, I know that it, it has its detractors, but uh, the X Men twenty ninety nine that had uh, Ron Lim on the art. Um, mm. Oh, I, I love think is, love Ron is Lim. Terrific, yeah. and it's it's got some great character designs and um, has some great ideas, and the the fact that it was just it, it was set in this kind of future Vegas, um, which worked really well, and had a lot of different stuff to say about future of entertainment rather than future of um corporate side of things and also sort of future of religion and cults and how the x-men could effectively be a kind of cult um huh, that ran re- re- really for 35 well. issues okay mm. that's that's not nothing <laughs> yeah that's, and that's a couple a- of a couple of specials as well It had a uh, one that yeah. was painted by the Hildebrandt brothers which is Pretty,
0: pretty terrific hmm. yeah I'll, uh, I'll i i am curious about the 2099 universe like i am almost you know in, in my mind i'm like can dave and i afford to do another spin-off just covering the 29 <laughs> like, i mean he's not here to say absolutely not so i'm gonna pitch this because <laughs> uh, he would if he was here but um, maybe maybe after we finish the uh the ultimate universe because it does remind me of the ultimate universe in some ways where they're like let's start something new Let's start something where you can jump in at issue one. There's five series. You can follow it month to month, really easy. You can mm-hmm. you can consume the entire universe easily, right? And who knows, yeah. you know, if this had taken off, maybe it would just get bloated and you know too big, just like you know the main line six one six. But like, um, you know, I I always like that idea with uh, when Marvel does that, and Dave continually is pitching this idea of like <laughs> Marvel needs to be launching a new Ultimate Universe every ten years right yeah like that it's a great idea just to be like let's do another marvel ultimate universe start you know every the beginning of every decade start a new new creators new stories um
1: because yeah Yeah, i think the difficulty that they had with the uh, the ultimate universe that we did get was that if you say right let's just go wild and these creators can fill these spaces with any stories that they like they tend to fill them with the same stories they that do it's, They
0: loved when they were kids. It's insane because we have a spin-off show My Ultimate year where we're reading literally everything and we're a little over halfway through the ultimate universe and that is continually one of our big complaints, which is just like, hey, this is uh you know Brian Michael Bendis is so guilty of this. it's just like I'm bringing in Daredevil and he's Daredevil.
1: he's just Daredevil. the, yeah. the
0: Daredevil, you know, oh this kingpin that's the kingpin, you know you know like they like like when something, totally fresh happens it's this like i I mean uh mark miller does it mark miller is the one who sometimes is just like no this is unlike any you know the ultimates like love it or hate it you have to recognize the ultimates is like he's putting his own stamp on these characters and i I think a lot of them are you know kind of fresh ideas but like a lot of those creators just warren ellis and brian k vaughn
1: are just really adding very little to uh, to, the, to the world there. Uh, yeah, Mark Miller's Mark Miller's versions of the ultimate characters are always just like, "Hey, what if this character?" But he's an asshole, right? <laughs> exactly.
0: You know what? Like, it works sometimes for me. Like some some of those really some of them make me roll my eyes, but some of them really really work. Or what if Magneto? But he's eaten humans, right? Like, <laughs> what if <laughs> yeah, Meg? What, or what if anyone? Right? He just does that a lot. He likes cannibalism a lot. Yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, the, the the one, like, one of the biggest, freshest ideas in Ultimate Spider-Man, which we generally like, is just Kitty pride and Spider-Man dating. That's, yeah, that that's just like, oh, hey, you can do something here that you probably would never, you could never do in the mainline universe. It works. It's a fun idea. And, like, it's weird that that stands out as, like, a huge, fresh idea
1: <laughs> in that, that universe. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, anyway. Totally. I think it's
1: one of the reasons that um, Spider Man 2099 launches so strongly is that it doesn't launch with Spider Man 2099 versus Green Goblin 2099. Sure. It's Venture. And then the next story arc has got the specialist. And then you get a bunch of different um, unique villains for Spider Man 2099. It's not riding the coattails. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Okay, so uh, with that, let's move into some actual mainline. Spider Man here. And we read three issues, Spider Man three sixty one through three sixty three. This is the introduction, the proper introduction. We've had a couple little hints. The proper introduction of Carnage, uh, Cletus Cassidy. And we've seen we've seen that Eddie Brock left a little of his symbiote, which here was they explained is the symbiote asexually reproducing and just dropping off a baby, um like leaving it in a prison cell for this serial killer to find, right? So the the conceit here is like instead of Eddie Brock who who is a little insane <laughs> here, especially mm-hmm. here, like Eddie Brock is um his motives are really hard to parse. Um what if it is, you know, someone who's genuinely like a sociopath who a, a thrill killer, serial killer, right? Um Yeah. And uh, so written by David micheline and, and Mark Bagley here. Yeah. Um and I I don't have a strong connection to Carnage. I'm not a big Carnage guy. I'm not even really that big of a Venom guy, unless, you know, depending on the story. Like, I think he looks cool, but, like, that kind of looking cool thing is enough for some people. I, I think mm-hmm. just his whole vibe is enough for people. It's not, like, it doesn't really draw me in too much. Um, Carnage is doubly so that, because Carnage is just, like, you know... I, I I think the draw of Carnage is just, like, someone so totally unhinged and powerful... Right. It it is a little fresh for Spider Man to be fighting somebody who is just like I'm not planning on amassing money or power, like I'm just killing children arbitrarily mm-hmm. for fun, right? And seeing Peter Parker butt up against that. Um what, what about you? Are you what what do you think about Carnage kind of as a an idea?
1: Right. He well he debuted when I was uh, gosh, I would have been twelve. Mm-hmm. And there was a comic here in the UK called The Exploits of Spider Man, which is such a, a Britishy y way of. It's called The Exploits of Spider Man. It's very good. Like some old timey newsreel or something like that. Um, but it was. I've actually got one of the, the reprint issues of it here with me. Oh, fun. Oh, It was big. Like, it was oh, there's Spider Man on Printed in this it, yeah. l- large, large format. And um, it basically the format of it was that you know they would have a reprint of a current-ish spider-man comic then a reprint of a classic um stan lee steve dicko one and then by the point that we got up to it, the, that reprint um they were doing um spider-man 2099 and the the fantastic um jm dematis and uh sal Buscema spectacular spider-man stuff yeah yeah. so it was you know a chunky old issue it was always like you know 100 pages or whatever and that was where i first encountered carnage and i didn't know that much about spider-man's villains back then so Mm. i had no real can you like the big guys but i didn't know any of the kind of the deeper bench um and so when carnage turned up i was just like oh is this the kind of guy that spider-man fights yeah just dramatically unhinged guys who look like somebody has spilled some soup on venom (laughs) um and i i didn't know what to make of him at the time because he was a little bit full-on and intense to me yeah and because of that and because i never really i wasn't a huge venom fan at the time um, Venom was one of those characters that just seemed to be in it too much. Yeah. And I know it was because he was popular, but just, like, he used to show up in everything. Well, you know, at, at this um, point,
0: not yet. I'd say this This is in the last three... I think Venom shows up in 1990, I think?
1: Yeah, um, and he's he's I, I, got a, f- a few... Of, I think he turns up two or three times before this twice. in Spider-Man. He, two, two times. So this is only the third of... Oh, no. So uh,
0: 89, right? So in the in... Four yeah. years, this is his third appearance, which is, it's a fair amount, but, like, he is not all, like, he had his mm-hmm. initial arc, he had the, uh, I think, two issues of the, like, Venom Island thing, and then this, which you get a nice recap of here, <laughs> if, if you're not caught up, you know, Peter Peter narrates the entire, uh, you know, Venom history here. <laughs>
1: um, and it was nice to be at a point where it was that was still something you could do. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah require, require the official handbook in front of you. Um but for, it, it strikes me as, to be honest, now looking back at it, aging over 41, as a really quite cynical thing by Marvel editorial to just go, hey, you guys like Venom? How about we put some Venom in your Venom and give you Venom Venom? Yeah,
0: I, I, I think I more or less agree. There, there There's some touches here. Yeah, because I mean, it's that and it's also just the kind of like, it does feel like a cheap plea to or appeal to like violence is thrilling right like Mm, mm. violence is just automatically thrilling so let why don't we just amp up the violence more than we almost ever have before are you getting a feedback thing a little feedback it's weird yeah i don't know where it's coming from make sure that's not on the actual it is on the recording um okay hey this is zach editing in this later something weird is happening with my microphone and this was the impetus for me buying a new one which you're hearing right now so uh it gets weird on and off for the rest of the episode there's some clicking and some squeaking it's listenable but it's kind of annoying but just know i am doing something about it and i did go out and buy a new microphone so thanks for your patience yeah i turned off my uh my direct monitor and it turned off so something on on my end okay um sorry about that um it's okay what was I saying? Uh, yeah, it, there, it's it's you know it's violence, but there there is a there's a strange there's like almost a dissonance between Mark Bagley's art here and the extreme violence which is happening, which is very restrained mm. in showing the violence. You know, like I, I was reading this, just thinking like the, most of the violence here is largely suggested rather than shown, right? Like it, yeah, a it lot is of not, it's
1: a lot of it's off screen, li- like literally
0: like carnage. carnage looking off screen as he's you know cutting somebody into to shreds. Yeah, although. <laughs> One of the like unintentionally funny moments here, which, it kind of it's funny, but it also does work to show how casually horrifying Carnage is. Is that Venom and Spider Man are trying to stop him, from, like murdering a family or something, and Carnage just picks up yeah. a baby and hucks him off a skyscraper. <laughs> yeah. um, which I I do like the, the the part of that I like as a character beat is that Venom and Spider Man leap for the, the baby and. Venom's the one who catches it. Like, they both shoot their web, and Spider-Man misses, which I think is a yeah. fun uh, a fun little unspoken um, moment there. I, I agree. I, th- I think it is kind of cynical. I think it is... Um, th- there's, like... Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. They, it doesn't seem to be that additive to <laughs> the universe of, of Spider-Man, except in that it is it is reframing Venom, pretty quickly after his origin, and I do appreciate that, right? Like, I appreciate, we've had two stories with Venom, and this is not a third Venom story where Venom is just trying to kill Peter again. Mm -hmm. That's what we had the first two times. And I think if they had just been like, this time, Venom's got a new plot to kill Spider-Man, and you know, he just chases Spider-Man, stalks him through the city, I think that would have been really tired. Them having to work together, and having a common cause, even if the, like, the plot of it is a little iffy, I, I do mm-hmm. appreciate them trying to like add a little depth to to Venom. Can can I t ask you, it's probably someone who knows much more about Venom than I do. I know Venom kicks in on his own solo series, what pretty pretty soon, right? Like
1: Yeah, it's it's not long after this because and the only reason I know that is because they've been doing Venom epic collections recently and the one which cuts off just before this story, mm-hmm. uh, we'll have Venom Lethal Protector in it, which is that—that's only like six, his, six issues. Yes, yeah, right? his six issue. It's his first mini, but then he basically gets a rolling series oh, of mini I see series, that. like mini after mini um, after mini, all mini the way after from... mini. Like literally, there are about twenty of them, and um, it rolls right up to the last one. I think is called Venom Finale. Mm-hmm. Okay, so do you, my my big thing. This is you know I, I've
0: read Donny Kate's Venom. Uh, Hmm. that's more or less it for me reading Venom besides what we've read so far. Something surprising to me here is that, like, knowing Venom is going to become a little bit more of an anti-hero and not just a villain. He's killed a lot of random people (laughs) Uh, so far. (laughs) Yeah. Like, he kills a a boy cop in his first appearance. There's this, like, very young-looking policeman (laughs) that he just murders for no reason. Um... Or so that he doesn't arrest him. And then <laughs> yeah, his motivations for hating Spider-Man never mm. feel real to me or feel like it feels like they're just really trying to make you believe in these motivations of Venom being like, what is it? Peter Parker, like Spider-Man stopped a villain or or like unmasked a villain. And Eddie Brock had like messed up a news story and Peter Parker, like or Spider-Man stopping a villain showed that eddie brock's reporting was wrong like he didn't check his sources mm-hmm. and somehow that's spider-man's fault and he's still furious about you know like it, it's it's really flimsy and it's just like so many degrees separated from you know spider-man being responsible Definitely. do they get i think what do they ever try to square I that circle what, like, like,
1: yeah well i think that gets filtered through is the fact that the symbiote is uh effectively and this is weirdly the thing that has um mirrored this best or shown this best is actually that i think the tom hardy movie Mm -hmm. um, is that the symbiote basically was in love with peter parker Mm -hmm. and um and needed him in, in a truly symbiotic kind of way yeah and so it's this kind of ultimate spurned lover thing so for Eddie, it's like, oh, I, you know, Spider-Man messed up my job and I don't have my career anymore and, you know, that sucks. Well, but he then made the us lose symbi- our innocence.
0: Like, he keeps talking about, like, he's obsessed with his innocence and his innocence was ruined. By- uh, and it's like, yeah. You you messed up a news story, man. Like, it's <laughs> Spider-Man yeah, didn't know well, anything. See, well. I, I,
1: I feel that kind of comes more from the symbiote side than from Eddie's side because the symbiote is very kind of, um, like, it, it was saying oh this is my wonderful existence you know i came from battle world with you and we had this joy and this happiness and you betrayed me and i finally i knew that this sorrow and the betrayal and all this kind of thing Mm -hmm. um so when eddie talks a lot of the time um about what he feels about spider-man i think it's helpful to kind of almost view that as you're almost like eddie thinking something and then that coming through a filter of the symbiote do do they does
0: that start getting like becoming text and not you know like a a, (laughs) fan supposition yeah 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 not not to like i mean that that like works right like that that does sound very you know like a a really good idea of why what's happening now but does that ever become something
1: that they talk a little more explicitly about it's kind of, I guess, it's kind of at the at the end of the the Venom Island thing. Just before this, it's sort of how he beats Venom, in that he says, "Fine, I'll I'll take you back," and the symbiote tries to leave Eddie mm-hmm. to go back to beat her. And yeah, right, um, right, right. And because of that, you know that that's how he's able to, to defeat him. But um, the the ins and outs of the difficulty with Venom's. 1990s stuff and all these kind of solo minis is that most of them are pretty bad Hmm, and they're they suffer from the the real kind of um we need to have 100 books per month on the stands and we're looking at quarterly spreadsheets and we need to be bumping up and up and up and there just aren't that many people working in the you know, the U S big two comic world in 1992, three, 4, who can produce you know one hundred good comic books a month. I mean there, there are and, I'm, I'm
0: looking at this list four Venom of mini series in nineteen ninety three alone. Yeah, like yeah, and Nisenti wrote one. I'm a little interested in that because um, I'm a, I'm a big Nisenti fan. But like besides that, I mean D- David Michelini does one right. He is the the Lethal Protector with Bagley and Ron Lim.
1: And, yep. then, and then it's like a lot of Carl Potts and then eventually Larry Hama does all of them. Larry Hama enjoys himself a lot and that is the best thing I can say about those <laughs> minis. yeah Larry Hama is having a great time and he's getting paid and he deserves that okay so let, let, we can get back to
0: carnage uh, a little bit i I, I think yeah I, I agree like it the, the character just like a serial killer he's he kills people. That's kind of Mm -hmm. the concept here. He kills people and he has the power just to do it. It's not that interesting to me. Like, I I, I guess, you know, kind of conceptually, it is interesting to see how Peter reacts to that, but, like, they don't dive into that too much. Mm -hmm. Like, I would be into it a little more if it was, like, this, you know, Peter psychologically dealing with, like, I fundamentally... Kind of doing a no country for old men (laughs) idea of just, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know what I'm looking at, right? Like, I... My brain cannot fathom... (laughs) another like evil like this like human beings acting like this and you know not working by any system that i understand i cannot you know like i truly don't understand that like that would have been a little interesting it's kind of there in concept but it doesn't go too much into it um so yeah the the best i can take away from this is like i kind of like the idea of venom and peter being forced to work together mark bagley's art is uh Again, I, I as usual, I love the way he draws Spider-Man. Like, he draws a very clean Spider-Man and a very mm-hmm. clean Venom. Except his Spider-Man costume has nose holes. <laughs> There's these small <laughs> little nostrils between the eyes. I just noticed, like, halfway yeah. through this, and I was like, what are you... I hated yeah. that. That's very weird. So he
1: does... I've not spotted that before, but yeah. And yeah, it's, it's in every yeah. panel, and it's cra- They're just... Yeah. yeah, it's really strange. What I don't get about Sp- Spider-Man specifically in this story... yeah. Is you know he, just after Carnage has been doing one of his many recreational slaughters, yeah. he's Spidey swinging around, he's things, spines torn from bodies, heads spun 360 degrees, limbs rearranged. At the sight of each atrocity, a message written in blood, signed by someone called Carnage. Sorry, he said that, uh, this is
0: a, <laughs> that message written in blood. Carnage escapes once and just writes "Carnage rules" <laughs> on the wall, which is but in it it, It's weird. It's a. It, there's a mix of it being silly, but also scary because he's like, there's no one around that he would have used blood, so he used his own blood. Like he figures out that he wrote
1: that in his own blood, which is a chilling detail. That's that's a good detail. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, please. But please when <laughs> and he's saying, you know, please don't know if it's a cult or some lunatic. A few surviving witnesses have babbled on about some kind of monster. Uh, it makes me think the culprit could be something f- far worse than a cult or a madman. It could be someone I know, and it's like. At what point are you planning on getting involved, Peter? Because this is the twelfth victim, yeah, apparently. Yeah. And you know, well, come on. Well,
0: I, I guess daylights like, burning. <laughs> with, with with carnage, it does feel like that could have just been his evening, right? This this uh, might yeah, not have been week, weeks and weeks. Like he is, he's regularly just being like, he was a family of five, and I killed them, and then I immediately <laughs> moved on to you know. Yeah. 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 It, I mean, the thing is, it's it's all just a little. It's weirdly understated, but then the actual, like, what is happening is a little too much, you know? It's strange. That, yeah. <laughs> one, of, one of the funnier details, and I, I usually, I don't know, don't uh, pick, you know, like, pick, pick nits like this. But, like, um, the very end of this, you know, they, they fight Venom and Carnage at a concert, and he uses the stereo to, like, blast the symbiote off of both of them. And then Venom attacks. Venom's a little more powerful. He is surviving, and he attacks Spider-Man. And then the Fantastic Four come in with, like, Reed Richards' sound gun and Johnny Storm's fire, and <laughs> Reed Richard just like, thanks for, you know, putting up the, the signal that we should come and save you. I, you were right that we shouldn't have come earlier because he would have hurt more people if we had... Sh-. Like, this really weird, like, we were <laughs> waiting in the wings watching, you know, Venom like, th- <laughs> threaten, or carnage threaten yeah. J. Jonah Jameson, and uh, good thing we didn't come in before now. We're not... Like, we're not capable of dealing
1: with something like this. Like, it's very strange. Because Spider-Man, Spider-Man and Venom literally leave and come back yeah. to the concert. Yeah. It's like, with the FF there? Right. The whole time? And they watched you leave. And they've just gone, wait, I'm sure he has a plan. He'll be back.
0: It's, it's very strange that the Fantastic Four would be like, we better leave this to Spider-Man. He's the expert here, right? Like, we cannot do this. I mean, the thing is, like... <laughs> You could just not put them here, right? That's the that's the point. Is like if you really wanted this to end, you know, a- end this some other way, except for them coming in, and then you have to have some flimsy excuse for them to not have been here the whole time. Yeah, yeah, it's very very. Strange. Oh, hilarious! Anyway, um, yeah, so uh, it's it's carnage. It's fine. I'm I'm not particularly excited about like I. While I didn't hate this, and I didn't like hate carnage here, I do know that carnage just kind of as a concept is not something that like. I'm gonna be thrilled about moving forward. Like I read when the Donny Cates uh, Venom Run had its first event. Was it Ultimate Carnage? Something like that? Absolute Carnage. Absolute Carnage. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just you know that that stuff it, it's just a little too. It's, yeah, it's a little too big, and it's a little too like, hey, you like serial killers, right? Like you you just want to see you know like ultra violence. Uh, in a in a Donny Cates comic, surely not. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> well i don't know he, he sometimes can do that you know very extra you know heavy metal thing well you know like well but then yeah yeah here's a normal superhero comic but i put spikes on it yeah yeah i don't, I don't mind sometimes
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: speaking of spikes on it good segue wolverine inner fury yeah he's got a lot of spikes in them have you read this before
1: I, I had not read it before. The first time I ever read it was yesterday. Okay, all right. Um, and so I, I had heard of it, but only in passing in a kind of a, you know, you see it listed in contents of trade collections or whatever. Um, so I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know the creative team behind it. I didn't know that it was DG Chichester, who I love his Daredevil work. Okay, I was I was going to ask because I've been like the biggest fan of Anne Nescenti's
0: Daredevil work, and then it mm-hmm. just ended. And I was like, who takes over Daredevil? And I'm like, a guy named D.G. Chichester. He's doing it for seven years. Like, he's on this run for a while.
1: Like, I've never heard of this one time. So y- you've read it. You like it. I do like it. But, I mean, okay. I it's, it's very... It doesn't hit the heights of Senti's Daredevil run, but then very little does. Sure, right. Um, He doesn't do a ton else at Marvel, as far as I can remember. But, I'm, I'm looking through. Yeah, it, it's
0: like, you know, he, he does a a three-issue Punisher Cap story here. He does, uh, an, uh, you know, an annual here. He has, he has actually, this year, he did something called Terror Inc. that had 13 issues. Yep. Oh, yes. Yeah, Terror Inc. is... Yeah, Terror Ooh, Inc. is na- <laughs> crazy because... 1991, two issues of a comic
1: called Hellraiser Nightbreed, Jihad.
0: <laughs> All right, no thank yeah, you. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, the uh, Terror Inc. is a really... Good concept Terrink is basically a, a mob killer with a kind of poetic soul who um replaces his body parts with um body parts of people who he kills and it's effectively a horror concept in stuck into the marvel universe and the character largely disappeared for ages and then he showed up in robert kirkman's marvel team up um, and then there was a uh, a limited series, which I think David Lapham wrote for Marvel Max in mm-hmm. about 20... I want to say about 2013, something like that. And um, it's a concept that is very difficult to make work without it being very very silly sure and well the way i do, mean he's, he's a, stir, <laughs> when, when he resolves that it's just to lean into the silliness of it it's yeah, just like it's difficult to do this without being silly so let's be a little silly with i an eternal entity that
0: absorbs the talents of others through their dismembered limbs so i mean it, it's just mega man right <laughs> like he's just walking around <laughs> defeating his foes <laughs> and like sucking up their powers. so yeah it that, that, i mean that sounds fun though <laughs> Like that, that does sound like a fun It, it is
1: it is enjoyable. It's that's part of the kind of um the area of Marvel in the nineties that was my absolute favourite bit of Marvel. I was never a big like Spider-Man, Avengers, X-Men kind of guy. Like I, to to an extent, but my real first love is, you know, Terror Inc., Silver Sable, Dark Hawk, Sleepwalker. Okay, so if you were Nightwatch If, if you were reading <laughs> in the seventies you would have been like
0: the 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 kid who was just reading you know like uh yeah morbius the living colossus werewolf (laughs) by night and stuff you're like you know yeah just reading the uh masters of kung fu and that that, like cool cool kids club of like yeah i don't read superhero comics i just read (laughs) uh, i read werewolf (laughs) by night (laughs) Um, uh, tearing sounds interesting i'll have to see if that's on marvel unlimited um All right, so getting to this this comic, uh, have you read Electra Assassin by Frank Miller and Bill Sienkiewicz? Okay. Because I I think that's the closest thing to this that we've read. And obviously, I I mean, it's both because Bill Sienkiewicz is doing the art and he's working in a similar mode. Because he doesn't always Mm -hmm. work in this big, heightened, abstracted mode. You know, he can can dial it down for a more, like, mainstream, you know, comic. But um, D.G. Chichester, I think, is really, like, working on... his best Frank Miller imitation, and it, it's not, it's yeah. not a bad one. It, he's not, you know, he's not as good at it as Frank Miller, but it's not a bad, you know, version of that kind of, like, rude, silly, like, uh, edgy, um, a little, like, it, it, it's its kind of, like, very silly, but embracing the the
1: silliness for this, like, heightened um, cruelty, kind of, to, to the whole thing. Yeah. Um I mean the the whole book is effectively a showcase for Sinkevich. Yeah, As a yeah, yeah. Wolverine story, it's very kind of you know, it's a Burger King meal of a Wolverine story. It's nothing particularly exciting or, or uh innovative, but the art side of things is what makes this comic worth reading, I think. I agree. Although I I, I, I yeah, I, I was thinking that same thing, that this
0: story told by, you know, a lesser creative team could just be very... Yeah, a Burger King meal. (laughs) It's very funny. Um, (laughs) Just be very, like, run-of-the-mill. But I I do think Chichester brings something special with his actual, like, prose writing here. I think the character voices do, you know, like, elevate this as well. I don't think it's just the art is carrying through, like, a medium, a a middling um, issue. Mm -hmm. I I think the actual way that these characters speak to each other and interact with each other, because it's mostly... Actually, there's not much... There's not much prose narration. It's mostly um, like in the dialogue between the characters. And and I think it largely works. Like his voice for Wolverine and his voice for, um, you know, Whale and uh, what's the guy's name? Big, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which
1: uh, was... They're, they're good. I do like the two of them, Whale and Big as villains. And I don't think they've showed up anywhere since here, which is... I'm looking... Nope. Interesting.
0: <laughs> nope. They definitely, they definitely don't. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's it's got that Sienkiewicz thing where you're being carried along by the art. It's a little confusing at times. Like, just Mm -hmm. because the art kind of leaves... You know, Electro-Assassin is that example of, like, you're just kind of along for the ride and you have to trust that you're going to piece it together (laughs) as you go because the art is, like, not necessarily going to help you out (laughs) that much. Yeah. Even if it is, like, one of the most engaging pieces of comic art you've ever seen. Like, you know, for a long time, I was, like, this guy big. I'm like, this is the whale right he just escaped and because they look similar they're both these <laughs> very small guys with these huge noses and yeah. and so like in the opening scene the whale which is like a scientist that's working for hydra making nanotechnology um escapes his uh like escapes his mobile lab here and then mm-hmm. big tracks him down with wolverine by like uh, g- what's the word uh coercing wolverine into helping him because he, he injects him with this nanotechnology that is like making his body reject the animantium um so i i thought for a while that this was some weird ploy by the whale <laughs> pretending to be not the whale <laughs> i don't know if because right, okay. i mean it's mostly just the design i'm looking at two pictures of them right now and it's like yeah big looks like if the whale put on a trench
1: coat and a hat in a wig like it, it, he does He's a small he really short does. man and with this huge nose, um the design of big makes me think very much of like chris pachalo's generation x um particularly the later issues of it um where a, a lot of characters had these kind of grotesquenesses to grotesquenesses is not a word, but you know grotesque aspects to them, yeah, where um it a lot of exaggeration and a lot of kind of um where you're not supposed or you're not led easily to be able to figure out whether you're looking at something you're supposed to see as an actual kind of physical you know deformity or whatever or whether it is something that is purely a, a stylistic yeah art thing sure. we know that with the whale it is definitely supposed to be that he's he physically looks like a little whale shark i mean thing. the comic
0: does get like it the the comic gets a lot of what i think it wants to be or yucks <laughs> off of mm. like making fun of the whale and big for their height right like it, it yeah. has a lot of fat jokes and a lot of like midget jokes right like yeah. I that's not I'm trying to use the word of the comic right they they yeah, mm. use that a lot but like they are you know making a lot of jokes at the expense of their uh the I think big is a dwarf and you know whale I don't even know what's going on with whale he's a man kept in a tube who uh, is like yeah you know f- it's f- a little fish guy <laughs> yeah just you know just a little fish guy. <laughs> um you know those kinds of men <laughs> um mm-hmm. yeah so like it, it gets a little of that in a way that like i don't think is su- as successful as miller because miller I, I, miller can be like really mean like the the main point of view character of electra assassin is like just a straight-up misogynist like he's horrifying you know it's mm-hmm. it's not really electra the, the voice that you hear in your head the whole time is this man that's kind of horrifying to spend time with um but Miller, like, walks that line a little better of it being, like, it, it feeling, you know, like, he, he is not clearly just, like, endorsing and writing, like, cutesy dialogue that you're supposed to be chuckling at. This, I like, got a little yeah. bit more of, like, these, these are some, you know, I'm, I'm sneaking some jokes about, like... Uh, well, yeah, about little people and... He, yeah. he talks about bigs like, stature being raised up by something, and then he's like, also a stool would help, right? Like, <laughs> stuff like that where... I think yeah. yeah yeah anyway it's it's i don't think it's egregious but like it is you know i, I think it's in the the background here but like you said this is a sinkevich art uh you know showcase and uh it's mm-hmm. incredible i i love his work i, I miss it <laughs> when we're not seeing it. it it's too bad that i i don't know how much longer he's gonna like really be working in this mode and getting to write like big stuff because when i look at like what he's doing in marvel um at least at Marvel, I look at what he's doing in Marvel in the future. Like he's doing a handful of stuff, but it's a lot of inking, right? Like he just gets to ink stuff, yeah. and it's like he's a good inker, right? But it's like that's like getting you know, it's like Jack Kirby writing, you know? It's kind of just like yeah, but like you know, get him back on pencils, right? <laughs> like this, is, this is what you know. Like his writing can do some interesting stuff, but like what it, what we really want to see is the you know the pencil work. That's what he excels yeah, at. Yeah,
1: I think Sinkevich now does a lot of kind of fine art illustration stuff and magazine stuff and so on so I presume that's where the money is more than um, with you know doing a lot of uh, comic stuff and I don't know whether it's the case that a lot of um, comics has kind of moved not moved past him because that makes it sound like he's not he's not right for comics anymore because he clearly is but that comics has done that thing where it abandons its elder statesman slightly
0: yeah 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 That that's interesting i mean you know superhero comics sure like can you imagine picking up six issues of something that he's illustrating in his full-on you know like mixed mm-hmm. media style nowadays i i have a hard time seeing that in anywhere except for like an independently released graphic novel right like yeah, yeah. like barry windsor smith same with him and like monsters right or monster um you know so, something like that that's where i would see him like yeah absolutely. Work, working now um Anyway, yeah, his arts here are incredible. They, they, I mean, the conceit of the story really suits it, which is that Wolverine's immune system is pushing the adamantium out of his body. So you get these incredible shots of, like, spikes just bursting out of his back, right? So he's got this spiny back, or his claws extending, you know, three or four feet off of his arms. Yeah. Really cool stuff. But at the same time, it's got that Sinkevich silliness, where, you know, like, when he would do the Demon Bear Saga, and he would just include, like, a grid map in the corner, and yeah. he's just, like, having fun with it. Or or in uh, Electro Assassin, where Nick Fury is, like, testing a new weapon, and the new weapon is just, like, a building-sized handgun <laughs> that he sits in, right? Like, it's literally just a big handgun. Yeah. Um, he does that where, like, yeah. he gets these he, zoom-ins on the immune system and there are these cute little, like, white blood cells that are, like, kicking the adamantium out of his fingers and it's like, here's what's <laughs> happening in Wolverine's body, right? <laughs> <Like,
1: laughs> and I love the things, like, um, just the, the conceits that, for example, you have the adamantium is leaking out of Wolverine's body and it's coming out through his hair follicles mm-hmm. and his fingernails and things like that and, like, firstly, that's kind of gross, which is excellent for this kind of story and secondly it means that you get to do things like you know somebody's saying oh a little gray hair there and she cuts her finger on it because it's not a little gray hair it's a little metal hair which is razor sharp yeah th- yeah that woman that, in the bar it's a great
0: moment yeah and the mm. beginning of wolverine being like something's something's wrong mm. um yeah so i i, I think like th- there's a lot less to chew on story-wise than you know like Electra assassin or uh I guess any, t- any other times, Sienkiewicz has been doing, <laughs> like, artwork pairing with people. But um, I-, I think this is yeah. just something you got to... It's only 50 pages. It's, you know, it- it's a ton of fun and totally not talked about. It- it's interesting. This this is a conversation that I've been seeing on Twitter a decent amount lately, which is, like, where's Marvel's Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns, Batman Year One, etc.? Right? where are there... Here's a graphic novel that, like, just holds up on its own that is not part of a bigger run... There's Mm -hmm. not a ton of examples, and like a lot of them are Bill Sienkiewicz. Weirdly enough, it's like Electro Assassin. Yeah, for sure. That's that's like one of the only ones that I'd be like, yeah, just hand that to somebody. It's a really difficult book, but it is also not like here's getting you into the middle of a superhero universe. It's so totally its own self-contained thing. Um, I'd I'd say this as well. Like this is a really cool like single issue, you know, graphic novel more than a you know ongoing part of
1: a, a larger thing yeah and it doesn't tie into anything else you don't need to have any background in really anything to do with wolverine or or nick fury or any of the other characters who appear in this to be reading this comic you know you you literally could just come in and go oh i vaguely know who wolverine is and you would get something which stands completely on its own
0: Hmm. yep i uh yeah totally agree i think this is uh this is well worth well worth the time um yeah, you know, even if you are just checking it out for the the very cool art, I am curious. I, I was looking up D.G. Chichester's work moving forward, and he does a lot of like, uh, he does a lot of he has an mini miniseries. He does all these like Daredevil arcs with um some really interesting artists. So like I, I'm gonna try to Dave. You know, Dave is like constantly reworking the list as we move forward, and I don't think he has any of that runs Daredevil in there. Um, so you know maybe I'll try to twist his arm and include an arc or two, because uh, it sounds, sounds interesting. Is there any, like, standout um, like Daredevil arc uh, from that that you would say is a, you know, essential off the top of your give head? Give me a second. Yeah, not to, not to to put what you the on name The name of it is. Uh, yeah, just... we, we read the return of Miller next year. Miller comes back with
1: Daredevil, the man without fear. So there's a story called Fall from Grace, mm-hmm. which is I think one of his better ones. Um, it has a um, it has a new Daredevil costume in it, which is one of my favourite Daredevil costumes, and it is very nineties, but it you know, it's got armored panels and things. Um but it's sort of grey and red and Ooh, um, I'm looking at it now. That's oh, really? it's pretty
0: it's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, it's better than No, that, that's a that's a neat costume, you know, as opposed to like Thor who comes up in it. You know, Thor's new custom is very '90s in all the worst ways. This is this seems like yeah. still like an interesting design in these covers for that arc. All right, I'll uh, I'll check that out and see if maybe I can, uh, you know, it's worth uh, worth including some really cool covers here mm. on this run. All right, thank you for the recommendation. Um, all right, I think that's gonna do it for us. Uh, thank you so much, Al. Again, can you remind people
1: where to find you? Your you know, podcast, social media, etc. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm on Twitter at House to Astonish, which for anyone that's been wondering why um, it's called House of Astonish, it's because it was a rejected amalgam comics title from the nineteen ninety seven DC Marvel crossover, um, which Mark Wade pitched and got. It got rejected by the editors, and I read it in a Wizard magazine article in ninety seven, and thought that's an amazing name for something. Um, so it's that's why it became the name of the podcast, and. Um, it's over i'm at house to astonish on twitter the podcast is at house to astonish.com and if you want to check out desert island Discworld, then it's at d Discworld on twitter and desert island disc all
0: right excellent yeah i
1: definitely it, so
0: the um house to astonish is it, it's it's more of like a modern you know like check in on what's happening modern day with the big two right mm-hmm. big two or just marvel
1: oh no it's it's the whole of comics really cool. I mean we're, okay. we're not restricted to to any one publisher or or to even to just the big two we we frequently cover um books from companies like aftershock and vault and um Very cool. lots of the other indies so yeah i I would definitely recommend checking that
0: out because like i I don't listen to modern you know comics <laughs> podcasts like what's happening today you know but the, the few episodes I listened to I was like oh man this is this is really good and it you know a uh if i was going to try to be keeping up on <laughs> comics like you know what is happening this month in comics like it's the podcast i'd be turning to so highly recommended oh, for me as much. well yeah um all right so if uh, if you want to support the show like i said at the beginning reviews on apple podcasts head over to patreon.com uh, all appreciated thank you so much for listening our music this this episode and all episodes is by disasterpiece And we will see you next year.